So for the last few weeks, we have been working through First Peter. <clears throat> Continue this series, but actually now the next couple weeks, this week and next week, are sort of a series within a series, talking about um, looking how do we live our witness. If you want to get out your bulletins, we're going to be talking and working through those in a moment. But uh, we're getting now into the body of, letter, of the letter. For those of you who haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been in this book of First Peter. It's one of the, the letters in the New Testament. And it's Peter, the apostle of Jesus. He was a direct follower of Jesus who has written this letter to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey. He wrote it about 2,000 years ago. And he wrote to them to encourage them in faith because they were finding opposition. Because of the way they were treated, because they were Christians, they were, be treating, they were being treated uh, wrongly. They were being uh, kept out of society. Maybe they, they had a shop. People were avoiding it, doing all sorts of things against them because they were Christians. So we've been working through this, and this is where we pick up the letter today. Uh, this last week, I have to tell you, uh, this passage uh, is complicated. I, I, I think probably if, if, we were, if we had um, time to work through all of it, there's probably three or four sermons in this, this passage, maybe more. But it's been also difficult, too, or challenging because of what Peter is teaching. Peter is saying in this passage, submit yourself. Submit yourself to authorities. Submit yourself to those who treat you badly. It's challenging stuff. And I begin to wonder, too, like, I mean, he's talking about slavery and slaves. How applicable is this to us? Like, how, Lord, how do I take your word about slaves and submission? How do I apply that to my life? And then also, too, is um, how do we endure, uh, largely, how do we endure the injustice that comes against us? when people say things about us or they, war, or they make judgments about us because we follow Jesus, because we are Christians. So maybe some of you are wondering some of these questions too. Maybe just generally you wonder, how do we apply Scripture to our lives, especially when it seems like something that doesn't really relate to us? For example, we're going to be talking about a few uh, in the text here in a few moments how Peter is speaking to slaves, and none of us in this room have ever been a slave. So how do we take this passage, how do we take this text and apply it to our lives? But there's also bigger stuff too. There are things that are going to be difficult for us as we talk about it. How do we submit ourselves, right? Because our culture hates to submit. <laughs> it's like ingrained in us, never submit. Um, how do we submit ourselves and to whom? How do we do it? What should it look like? Some of us are Christians here and maybe this is a hard teaching. You know, you've been following Jesus for a while and you're thinking, Man, Jason, I was hoping you were going to pass over this text. Or maybe some of you are visiting this morning and you still have lots of questions about Christianity. Maybe more questions than answers and you're wondering, you know, submit? You know, that just doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't sound like what our culture uh, follows or believes. It sounds backward. So maybe some of you are coming this morning and you're wondering, you know, how do we take complicated texts like these? How do we apply them to our lives? How does the Bible speak to my life? How does all of the Bible, not just my favorite parts, but how does all of the Bible speak in my life? And how do we faithfully submit ourselves? The good news is we're not the first to ask these questions. In fact, Peter wrote this letter to a church or to a group of churches almost 2,000 years ago. And people have been getting help from it and living their lives according to this word for centuries now. And I think you'll see by the end of this some amazing things. God has done some amazing things throughout human history by Christians who follow this teaching. All right, so let's jump into it. So this is your bulletin on the inside. You'll see this big block of text. Don't worry, we're not going to tackle it all at once. We're going to take it piece by piece. So let's look at the first piece, all right? So uh, Peter says this. He says, dear friends, 
you see it underlined there? Everybody can see that okay? Yeah, good, okay. So he says, uh, dear friends, which um, in the NIV, I wonder why they chose this. Maybe just because it was easier for people to kind of hear that. But actually in the Greek, he says, beloved, my loved ones. And I think you get a glimpse here of Peter's heart for these churches. He's not saying, it's not a, it's not a formal uh, dear sirs or madams. It's a beloved, dear ones. And so he's speaking from the heart here because he truly cares about them. And I also, I feel this, I could feel this as a pastor. Um, I could relate to this for how much I care for you as well. That we would hear these words and that we would live them. So he says this, he says to them, he says, well actually here, let me read the whole thing. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. All right. So there's a couple key parts here that I want to draw out. The first one he says is um, abstain from sinful desires. That's uh, that's a really nice way of saying like hold back your carnal lust. Hold back those deep self-centered urges that you have. Because living sinful lives has two problems. First of all, it's bad for us. And second of all, it ruins our witness in our community around us. I was talking with a friend of mine. We were talking about this even just this week. And we were talking about when things get hard, as people, we are really tempted to do, uh, to do the wrong thing. When things are difficult, we're tempted to take on things like addictions. When, we're, when things are hard, we're tempted to come home and have a drink. Or when things are hard, and maybe some guys, uh, this is more of a guy issue, but we're tempted to, to start surfing the web for pornography. Or some other addiction. Or maybe when things get really hard, you, you pour all of your time and money into overmanaging your family. These different things that we do that are wrong, that are sinful. Things like anger and greed. These sins that we have, these carnal lusts, these selfish impulses that, that bleed through especially when things are hard. And so we were talking, my friend and I were talking about this, about how this is uh, when it drags us down. And I was thinking about it um, in terms of my own experience. Uh, most of you know this, but some of you are visiting today might not know that when I was in my 20s, I was married before and I went through a divorce. And I remember uh, going through that year of separation. And I remember that I, I didn't drink. Um, before that, I, I mean, used to drink a lot, but... Um, but going through that, because of my faith in Jesus, I didn't drink. Part of it um, was because of my witness, but also mainly it was because I knew or I was afraid that if I were to take one drink, it could easily end up into two and then ten and then too much. See, the thing is, when things are going wrong, we are tempted to do sort of things to medicate our pain. And these things are always trouble for us. They always lead the wrong direction. And so I hear Peter here saying, abstain from sinful desires for your sake, but also to abstain from sinful desires for the sake of those around you. Because there are people around us who have a grudge against Christians. Maybe some of you have experienced that. There are people around us. I mean, some people are like, eh, whatever, let them do their thing. But there are some who say, you know what? I don't like those guys. I don't like Christians. 
because they make me feel like I'm worse, or they feel they make they pretend like they're holier than me, or they judge me, or make all sorts of the judgments about me, and so I don't like them. And so people like that love it when Christians make mistakes, when Christians sin, when we fall short of the glory God has for us. They love it, not in a good sense, but they love it because it feels like oh we can take those Christians down a peg. And so it is up to us for our sake, but also for the sake of those around us that we live good lives, that we don't give in to our desires, so especially the sinful ones, the ones that lead to things like drunkenness and addiction and greed and anger. So Peter goes on to say, he says, live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives that they praise God in the day that he visits us. This is something that, that we are called to do as Christians. That there are things that happen to us. People mistreat us. People take advantage of us. I remember the story, Rudy, you've told me a few times about delivering wood one time to someone across the lake, right? And they're saying, you know, these Christians are, are great. I love taking advantage of them. They do all this stuff for me for free, these suckers. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but... But we take, that sort of, we take that sort of abuse. We do such good things. You know, and maybe we do things, and maybe you've experienced this too, where you help someone who was completely ungrateful. And you feel like, man, I wasted my time. <laughs> I want to encourage you that you did not. Maybe they don't get it, but other people around them will see it, and they will see the way we care for people, and they will see the way we care for our community. And even if there is something that goes completely unnoticed by our community, our Father in Heaven sees, and that matters too. So I hear Peter saying he's encouraging us to live such good lives that the people around us praise God. Now it's interesting, as part of this whole passage, just to kind of step out of the teaching here for a moment, this passage is actually the overarching statement for this whole next bit that we're going to be studying, okay? So if you want to write this down, you can. Live such good lives. That's the main point here. And this is kind of the guiding statement for the rest of what we're going to talk about this week or this morning and next week, okay? So this is the overarching statement. So then he goes on. Let's take on, to the, next, let's take on the next part. Okay, huge portion. We're going to take it piece by piece, okay? So the first part here is submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men and women, for that matter. This is the tricky part. This is the part that cuts against the grain of our culture. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. We live in an age right now that rejects authority. <laughs> Some of you come from the generation where authority mattered. I come from the generation where it was questioned. And the generation behind me, it's almost like it's the exact opposite. If it's authority, that's exactly what we're not doing. Our culture right now really struggles with authority. My first thing I'd almost say, I'm not sure if this is maybe a little bit overstatement, but our, our culture right now hates authority and hates submitting to it. Everybody's got a right and I'm going to stand up for my rights. I'm going to reject authority. That is the ethos of our culture right now. 
And Peter says this. He says, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Not because it's going to be some advantage to you. Maybe because it won't even change their minds. But for the Lord's sake, submit to every, not just your favorite, but to every authority instituted by men. So you kind of, what does this look like for us? For us to respect RCMP officers when they pull us over, to be respectful. So that when they find out, if they ever find out, or if other people find out that we're Christians, we don't have to explain to them why we were jerks when we were pulled over. No donut jokes. I'm speaking to myself right now. We also have to, too, to support our political leaders, even if we don't agree with the way they're leading. It's okay to speak honestly, to say I disagree with that, but when we start attacking their person, calling them stupid, or, and I, you know, Lord forgive me, saying what ridiculous things that they do, like that's not helpful. That doesn't uh, cause anybody to think, wow, Christians are really great. If anything, they think, well, Christians are just like everybody else. What's the point? So that we support, we pray for political leaders, both those that we are, are supporting, both those that we think would do a great job, and for those that we disagree with the policies that they create, that we submit for God's sake. And we do our best <laughs> to help our communities and our, and our country. He says this, and Peter says this, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We see it right now, rife through our culture. How helpful it is it when you get online or Facebook or some forum and you start trying to convince people that they're wrong, that their view is wrong. How well does that go right now? <laughs> see people, a few people laughing. Right. It doesn't go well at all. But if we will do good, if we will do good, uh, it will um, silence people and the foolish things that they say. If we keep blessing people in our community, there are people who will still refuse to follow Jesus, yes, but at least they won't be able to say because those Christians are hypocrites, because those Christians are, are weasels, or because they lie and cheat just like everybody else. At least it won't be because of that. So let us live such good lives because this is God's will for us that we would silence any foolish talk that people have, wrong ideas or prejudice they have against us. All right? So let's take on the next chunk now. So he says this, Live as free men, as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear the king, sorry, fear God and honor the king. All right? So the first part here, I just want to make this live as free people. Okay, I'm going to talk about this in a moment, but you can imagine how meaningful this would be speaking to slaves. And I know it's hard for us to imagine that, but in the first century, slaves were a common part of the Roman Empire. And there were slaves that were a part of the church. And Peter is saying to them, live as free people, live as free men. And it's interesting because here it says live as, but actually in the Greek it says as free people. And so he's saying, this is who you already are. 
And if you remember, if you go home today and read First uh, Peter, you'll see all these allusions. And actually, we talked about a couple weeks ago about how Christ, through his blood, had paid for the remission of sin or paid for the, for the slaves to be released. This language uh, is slave, and it kind of works throughout the whole letter. And Peter is saying, you have been bought. You've been bought from your earthly master, and now you belong to God. So he's saying, in a sense, you are free here, but one day you will be free in God's kingdom. And so he's saying to them, live as free men. But this is the thing. He says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use it as an excuse to rebel against your, your owner, your master, or to start causing trouble or riots. You are free in Christ, yes, but live, you are free to live such good lives that the people around you praise God. Now this is, I've got to tell you, this is where it gets really tricky for me. <laughs> because uh, I'm a product of our culture. And I think, Peter, what are you talking about? We should be encouraging slaves to revolt and to be free and to earn their freedom and to set themselves free. It's complicated, I tell you. <laughs> Peter's trying to make this point that you live under God now. You belong to King Jesus, so obey him and obey every obeyable human law. And, you know, I don't, this is a really complicated issue, but I'm going to just talk from my experience um, in terms of something like abortion. I think it is good for us to protect kids. And I don't mean to, imp- to impose this on any of you if you have a different view than me. But this is a place where um, our culture right now makes abortion legal. And so it is good for us to submit to our political authorities, but to speak honestly about God's love for kids, even unborn children. This is one of those places. This is tricky. So here's what I would say. It is good for us to care for people, especially uh, moms who are considering this, to encourage uh, kids, especially kids. But I can tell you what is not helpful. Bombing abortion clinics is not helpful. Standing outside and screaming insults at people who have gone in or come out doesn't change anybody's mind. People don't see that and think, wow, you know, they're so thoughtful, maybe I should listen. It doesn't work that way. That's just one example. This is just one issue where we as Christians have an opportunity to bless and to care for and live such good lives that that changes opinion. And maybe not the opinion of the person right in front of us, but over time. And I'll talk more about that. So don't use our freedom in Christ to do evil. And then he gets into these commands. He says, seek, uh, or sorry, what did he say? He says, show, sorry, show proper respect to everyone. And that's sort of like the head sentence. That's the head part of it, but it's a command. He says, show proper respect to everyone. He says, love the brotherhood of believers. So love this church family. Fear God. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, this fear is the Old Testament way of saying, ultimately respect, revere God. Show ultimate respect for God and honor the king. These commands come one, two, three, four. He's saying this is part of, this is how we do it. This is how we overcome evil, by doing good. Okay, now for the last chunk. And this is, I'm telling you, this is the tricky part because 
One, none of us have ever been slaves, so it's hard for us to relate. And two, this sounds contrary to the way we think in our culture right now. It says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man or a woman bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he or she is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Let me just say a few brief things here about slavery in the first century and difference of the culture. So first is that uh, in the ancient world, people really had a strong believing in fate. They believed that if you were a slave, that that was the will of the gods. It was just by fate. They didn't believe in free will like we do in our culture right now. We believe that if you are willing to work hard and be disciplined, you can be anything you want to be. That's our culture. That is completely foreign to the first world or to the first century world. They believed that you were born into a station and you did your best to honor God in that. The other thing too is social hierarchy. In the ancient world, conformity was how they kept control. There was tons of social pressure for everybody to fit in. In our culture right now, it's, it's uh, rights and freedoms, right? That everybody has rights and freedoms. We don't have to, to do everything that everybody else is doing. I have my own right, my own freedom. But in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. People didn't protect rights. They made sure everybody got in line. They had a saying of uh, Pax Romana, or Roman peace. Roman peace was basically oppression. <laughs> that it, they called it peace, but really they just oppressed everybody else until they got in line and they didn't cause trouble for the empire. So it's a very different culture that way. The other thing, too, is the family. See, for us, families are private. The government has no say in my family. That's my own, that's my private business. In the ancient world, the family was the building block of society. So families were imperial business. Your family was the business of the empire because they viewed the whole empire like one big family. In Greek, they had the word paterfamilias, actually Latin, paterfamilias. This means father of the family. Caesar, the emperor, he was called paterfamilias of the whole Roman Empire. He was like the father of the whole Roman family with families underneath him. They had a completely different view of family. And in those days, slaves were a part of your family. They were a part of your house, more like like, I don't mean to, to sound rude or crass, but they were more like possessions, more like, like cattle than they were like people. But they were a part of your family. The other thing, too, is that our culture uh, values individualism. Our culture inva- values the importance of the individual. In the ancient world, it was collective. What's good for the empire? Okay? So, we have this saying about slaves, submit to your masters, and then we have a Christian leader writing to a church writing to slaves. And I was thinking about this, how he's calling the church, listen to this carefully, to compliant subversion. He's calling the church to compliant subversion. He's not calling them to stand up and march out into the streets and start burning buildings. He's calling them to comply in a way that will ultimately subvert the empire that one day will subvert even things, even a, a deeply held value as slavery. If you think about this letter here for a moment, just the scandal of this letter. First of all, Peter is writing to slaves. 
In the ancient world, slaves were not viewed as people. They were viewed as property. So in the ancient world, Peter should have wrote, slave masters, treat your slaves justly. But he doesn't do that. He actually writes to slaves, treating them like people, when the rest of the society did not. It's scandalous. The other thing, too, is he treats them like people, that they are humans. Throughout this whole letter, this whole letter is addressed to them as well as members of the church, that God loves them, that they have been set free in Christ, that they are ultimately free in him, free to worship Yahweh and Jesus Christ. You see, we don't realize this, but in the ancient world, if if the father of your house, whatever religion they were, if they were, uh, say they were Roman and they went for Roman gods, then your whole house did. Wives, you didn't get the chance really to be a different religion. You had to be what your husband was. Kids, whatever your family was. Slaves, whatever the owner was. And so Peter is saying, no, slaves, you can follow Jesus, even if your master does not. And I think about how this text, as troubling as it is for us today, how this, this text changed the course of human history. How this idea of living such good lives that people praise God, changed human history. And I think about the Christians who have helped to end slavery. I don't know, how many of you have heard the name William Wilberforce? A few of you. Yeah, he lived in between 1750 and 1830, I think, a couple hundred years ago, in the British Empire. He uh, continued to work through Parliament to, uh, to end slavery throughout the British Empire. Because he believed, because he followed Jesus. It was through his conversion that he began advocating and pressing for the rights and for the end of slavery. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther King? A few more, yeah. A Baptist pastor from the southern U.S. Who rather than teaching his followers to go out and grab guns and start burning things, he followed this way, this way of Peter. Definitely, they stood up and said, this is not right. But they didn't result to violence. They didn't retaliate. They didn't commit sin. This way changes the world. I know in our lives it's hard. I know some of you are facing hard situations right now where you feel like someone is mistreating you or someone is uh, giving you, doing everything they can to make life hard for you. And you feel like, Jason, you know, this is ridiculous. I can't submit. I can't treat them good. I can't bless them back. I can't exchange blessing for the way that they mistreat me. And I know it feels, it feels absurd. It feels insane. But I hear the word of God teaching us to do that. Sometimes people ask me, you know, Jason, how much should I forgive <laughs> Because I've forgiven a lot already. And I only hear the words of Jesus when he says, forgive 70 times 7. Which is the Jewish way of saying, you just keep forgiving. And forgiving and forgiving. I hear Peter saying, submit ourselves to the authorities. And I think that's something too that I feel like this is just the beginning of the conversation this morning that this is something that we have to continue to work out as followers of Jesus. And then he says this last bit here. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you should follow in his steps. He, co- he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, Peter, uh, well, let me, don't get my head of myself here. First thing, uh, Jesus says a few things, or sorry, Peter says a few things here. Okay, a few commands in this, this passage. One, he says, commit yourselves to following Jesus' steps. Follow Jesus' example. Okay? And then here's what he says. This is what Jesus' example looks like. First, he committed no sin. He didn't do anything wrong. Now, we aren't going to absolutely commit no sin. We are broken. We sin all the time. But we can do our best not to. And then when we do, Lord, please forgive me. And then ask those who we've sinned against to forgive us as well. But not to intentionally go and sin and mistreat people. Okay? So follow Jesus' example. First is commit no sin. And then he says this. This actually is a quote from Isaiah 53. Actually, this whole passage here takes quotes from Isaiah 53 and weaves it in with who Jesus is and what he's done. This is the, one of the richest parts of Scripture. And some of you I know have just been studying Isaiah uh, recently and Isaiah 53. There's actually a book uh, written by uh, John Calvin about 500 years ago. It said, The Gospel of Jesus Christ According to Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53 this week and think and realize or listen for things that remind you of Jesus. Read this passage in light of it as well and you'll see all these connections that Peter's making. Okay, so he says, committed no sin. He did not retaliate, which is so tempting for us. When people mistreat us, we want to retaliate. I mean, I don't struggle with this, but I see it in my kids all the time, right? <laughs> it's just constant fighting between those two. Do not retaliate. And do this. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Trust ourselves to God. Because God does judge justly. And sometimes we think we can't. No, Jason, I know what the right thing to do here is. I know how they've mistreated me. I can see everything and they deserve it. Peter's saying no. Leave it to God. He is the one who judges. He's the only one who sees all the details. So follow Jesus' footsteps. I don't think he's saying that we have to be doormats, that we have to let people walk all over us, but he is saying do not retaliate. It's okay to stand up, to do things to protect yourself, but not to, make, not to uh, do harm to others or to get back at people, and you're doing it. He's saying, Peter's saying, follow Jesus. following Jesus' footsteps. That's our third point, our last one. So what do we make of all this, right? How does this work out in our lives? I hear Peter saying, live your witness. Live such good lives that the people around you, that they'll praise God when he visits us. It's good for us. It's good for us to live good lives, to follow Jesus, and it's good for the people around us that they too will know Jesus. Submit yourself to the authorities. I know, trust me, I hear how hard that is. Submit yourself to the authorities. And I was thinking about this compliant uh, subversion. 
Because when Peter's writing, uh, writing this, uh, they, they, by the estimates of scholars, persecution hadn't really taken off yet. I mean, they were different, and so people treated them. They kicked them out of society. They treated them badly, but they weren't trying to openly kill them. It wasn't state-sponsored executions yet, but it would become that. In the next 300 years, there would be times when the Roman Empire made it law to find Christians and kill them. You might be thinking, you know, Jason, how does this, you know, against stuff like that, how does this work out? How does this actually work? Well, I'll tell you, in 325 A.D., uh, a Roman Empire, Constantine, a Roman emperor, a Roman general, becomes emperor of the Roman Empire. And at that moment, the whole Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire. And I think part of it was um, maybe like a real experience that Constantine had, but I think part of it too was him finally realizing that so much of the empire had actually become Christian, that this was the best political move for him. Over the next 300 years, from the time that Peter wrote this letter until 325 AD, the church grew. And it toppled the Roman Empire an empire that was dead set against killing them and eradicating them, eventually became a Christian empire. This nonviolent, compliant subversion changed the world. It ended slavery. It made the Roman Empire to the Holy Roman to a Christian empire. God works through this. I know it's hard for us to see, it's hard for us to even imagine, but God changes the world through this, through living such good lives that the people around us praise God. Imagine if we did this even more. You know, I know we're tempted to think, we're tempted to think that this, Jason, this is really nice and it sounds good in the Bible, but it's not going to work in my life. And I, trust me, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But I see its, its track record through history. And I trust it. I trust Peter, and I trust the word of God speaking, or spoken through Peter. That we would continue to live out our witness. That when people mistreat us, that we would live such good lives that even they would be ashamed of what they've done and they would give praise to God. Not because we've uh, verbally abused them or done something to damage them or hurt them, because we bless them. And that we submit to authorities around us. I know it's not easy, and there are some authorities who are not deserving of it. But that's not the point. That we would submit to authorities to obey every obeyable law we can. And that we'd follow in Jesus' footsteps. We would not sin, and when we do, we'd ask for forgiveness, both of God and those we've sinned against. And that we would trust God. We would trust Him with the results. Imagine how this begins to change in us and the grassroots, the ground movement that that creates in our community. The people around us, even though they may not agree with Jesus, they may not agree with what we believe, they could never say, they could never say uh, that we don't actually bless our community. Imagine what that could do here. Imagine how that would change things if we continue to live our witness.